Today, we're talking to creative tech marketer and consultant Michael Klein about advancements in conversational commerce and lessons he learned working in San Francisco during the dot-com boom. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. And so is that what you've been calling home for the past couple decades? Oh, yeah. I came out here with the dot-com boom and bust in 1999. So it's been uh, December of 99. So I've been here 24 years. Wow. That got me thinking just now, like we talk a lot on the show about leadership and, and growing tech teams and lessons learned. And we talk a lot about it in, in present day, right? What people are learning today. Did you have any, were there any big learning moments in the dot-com bubble in, in regards to leadership or management that you picked up on? There are no bad ideas. Uh, that's probably one thing that I, I've always picked up on. And no matter where you may be in the organization from interns to individual contributors, frontline managers, up to the, obviously the C-suite. There's a lot of good information and ideas that come from all parts of the organization. And if you're only listening to the chiefs and not all the different folks that are around the organization, then you're probably missing the boat. So I think that's one of the things that I've certainly learned and you know, the, the other ideas are just, there has been over the decades some silly money spent and make sure that you vet out your opportunities and uh, there are only so many unicorns out there anymore. You got to hunt the unicorns. <laughs> th- th- there are some bad ideas. I like how, I know I agree with the sentiment and, and the general idea, but then, then sometimes there are bad ideas. So when people do have like just bad ideas, how do you respond to that? <laughs> uh, how do you respond to that? Uh, I think you listen, you let you, you let it play out. And I've been in situations where I had senior leadership have some bad ideas. And sometimes you have to let things run their course and you know learn from those experiences as an organization and as humans. Uh, but sometimes you just, you can't, always beat people over the head with a two by four to get your point across. So, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you got to let it run its course and then course correct when things come to fruition where you think that, uh, was a bad idea and it actually turned out to be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always struggle with that, with growing the teams is like there's, you want to let them make their own mistakes, but sometimes there's just a mistake that you know is like too expensive. And it's like, ah, I just have to jump in here. Like, I just know that this doesn't work. That That's always a hard thing to figure out if you should do or not, right? It's like, should I let them make this yeah, mistake they, and learn? Or is this mistake too costly? And what's the timeline? And it's all so situationally dependent. I don't have a good like across the board answer for it other than just trying and failing a bunch and figuring it out for yourself. Because... To your point, there are there there is no one answer to all of those situations, and sometimes you can reason with data and uh, logic, and other times it's just a gut feel that you've seen this before and it's just not going to work. So uh, there there isn't that one response, and fortunately, if you do have some logic and data, and also sponsorship and you're not the only one beating heads with one other person that that also can help yeah getting buy-in from peers and those around you exactly so 
I got to speak with Sean over at Algolia. He said you guys were doing some work together, partnering on some things. Could you tell me about that? I've, I've known Algolia for a while because they're a partner of Adobe and I spent 14 years at Adobe before striking out on my own this year. Oh. And they were looking to bring some thought leadership to the NRF event in January and approached me through our relationship and one of their former partner managers. And I talked to them about what we're doing at, at what they're doing at NRF and uh, talked also about some of the other programs I had led and managed from a campaign perspective around NRF, the idea that uh, it's not only what happens on the show floor, but what happens leading up to it. So we've pulled together a full campaign that addresses conversational commerce. We're in the midst of publishing uh, an article around conversational commerce, where it's come from, where it's going. I think we've shared that with you as well. Uh, and that should be published any day now. Uh, by the time this airs, I'm sure it'll be already be out in the uh, the wires out there. So we're really focused around making the most out of NRF and bringing thought leadership and uh, demand to the booth. Oh, that's pretty cool. So tell me about like the conversational commerce. Like what what is that, and are people using it today? We've been using it for many years at varying levels of satisfaction and experience. Uh, the idea of conversational commerce uh, came out probably about 10 years ago or so, 2014, when Alexa, Amazon introduced the Echo and uh, Alexa as an, an assistant. And we were, we were asking it to time the an egg, what the weather was, what the news was. Uh, but there was this whole promise that we were going to have this new wave of shopping through speaking to a device through voice. And initially, it was pretty disappointing. Uh, quite often it was, I don't understand what you're asking for. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you were reordering something that was already in your shopping history it could be proved to be a pretty frustrating experience. Uh, it's evolved over the years to, especially in the digital space, to how does a brand, a retailer, engage with a consumer similar to how they might engage in a brick and mortar store through digital? And the most popular example of this now is a chatbot. Uh, but we're we're going to be moving into the future into other capabilities, especially with increase of computing power, NLP, uh, Gen AI, all all of the capabilities that have evolved over the last decade to really duplicate in some way, shape, or form some form of experience conversation that a consumer will have with a brand that would look like what I would if I walked into a store, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, Macy's, you name it, Best Buy, and start to have a conversation with a store associate. So what's the first thing you've ever bought through conversational commerce, not with a human? <laughs> well, I did, I have reordered through my Alexa, so that okay. was years ago. Uh, it was my... 
water filter for my refrigerator because uh, it was in my history and I knew exactly, they knew exactly which one I need and I need one twice a year. So it was Alexa send me another Whirlpool water filter. So that, that was the, that was the first uh, conversational commerce. Now, uh, fast forward to most recently, uh, I've been working on a bathroom remodel mm. and uh, I've used conversational commerce and some chatbots to get a little closer and understand the different types of fixtures I needed for my bathroom and uh, what might look best. So that, that's my most recent example. You chatted with them to find out what might look best? How do you mean? Uh, so I had a certain style already, a style guide okay. in terms of uh, the colorway and the finish of Chrome. And I input those uh, into a chat and received back product recommendations that met those requirements uh, of, hmm. of finish and brand. Because I was looking for a particular brand and a particular finish. What tool did you use specifically for this? Uh, it, it was both chat and, and search box. Like GPT-4? Like what, what did you use that actually gave you the recommendations? Oh, so this was an on-site chatbot. I, I could not tell you what was... It was my own prompt engineering uh -huh. asking the bot what I was looking for. So I can't indicate what that particular brand was using for their AI chatbot, if it was chat GPT. So I didn't go to chat GPT and oh, okay. ask, I was on site on a brand. It did, it, I, I didn't start with open AI. I started with a brand. Oh. So the brand had this ability, you went shopping on the brand's website and it had this ability to help you understand finishes and all of that. Correct. What are those just like fine-tuned AIs? How are they doing this? Uh, they're typically, they're doing it with uh, robust product catalog, product search, and being able to connect product search to the bot. And the bot has a uh, advanced capability to understand the catalog similar to how search might be, but uh, having a, a better use of NLP, National Language Processing, so that I don't have to be as precise as I might have had to be in the past in order to get the results I was looking for, where uh, you know, if I wasn't as precise as, as uh, and and speaking in general, right? That's part of the the evolution in the future, is that uh, we can have an a intuitive, natural conversation with a bot now that will be understood, that will bring back relevant product results. Where in the past, if it wasn't structured and it didn't hit the product catalog and the database exactly the way they were looking for, I could have gotten garbage back. And so is this what you're doing primarily right now? Consulting after Adobe is helping build these types of conversational commerce systems? Uh, I'm advising companies uh, in a variety of ways. I know enough to be dangerous technically, but I'm a business strategist uh, and focused on uh, developing programs for tech providers 
as well as retailers. On the tech provider side, I'm helping them with uh, go-to-market strategy, uh, messaging specific to the commerce industry. So uh, many tech providers are looking to increase their game, so to speak, and be more relevant to specific industries in the sense of vertical marketing. And that's where I come in. I, I can help some of these great product marketers in the tech world do a better job of telling a story and messaging to a particular industry. And, and retail is my sweet spot, having been a retailer for many years prior to coming over to the tech side. What is the most interesting thing that you're seeing? Like really cool use cases, anything stand out to you? Yeah, uh, I'm seeing a lot of interesting use cases around both content and data. And as we're, the topic of conversation, you can't get it out of any conversation without talking about AI in some way, shape or form or gen AI. You know, how brands are doing a better job or streamlining the process of product detail pages, uh, how they're, and, and I'm also a big believer that uh, the fear of AI replacing humans is maybe not as prevalent uh, or, or shouldn't be as much of a concern. And there's a, there's a phrase that I've taken on, I forget exactly who said it, but I, I believe wholeheartedly that AI is not going to necessarily replace humans, but a human using AI is going to replace another human. So it's, it's this idea that we've heard so often now, especially from the likes of Microsoft around Copilot. So how do brands and retailers use AI for content creation? Uh, there are certain fashion brands now that are using artificial intelligence and avatars uh, and models to be able to adjust who that model is. Uh, if the brand knows your body type due to their customer relationship management system and they knew you were a particular size in the past, they can adjust the model for that so that it's more relevant and approachable for you. Uh, if you may not be 5'10 and, you know, 200, you know, 105 pounds as a woman or, you know, a guy like me doesn't have uh, a beer belly or something. So, you know, there's, uh, there, there's some interesting things happening in terms of modeling and uh, content creation, bringing content together, leveraging AI as well. So those are some of the interesting things I'm seeing. And the largest brands, even small brands across the globe are testing AI in some way, shape, or form to either improve the customer experience, uh, product findability, product discovery, or making life better for the employee internally. I think that's some of the most exciting stuff right now is how we're going to tap into this, uh, knowing also that resources, especially in retail, uh, are challenged. Whether it's food service or retail, uh, there's sort of more than enough stories out there telling you that uh, you know, getting employees or staff, not easy. Uh, and folks are walking out the door because they have other things in the gig economy that they can do rather than sit in a shop and wait for customers to come in or you know, stand behind the counter at McDonald's. So 
I like this uh, this phrase, humans using AI, like AI won't replace humans, but humans using AI are going to replace them. That sounds like something a political strategist came up with, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if one human using AI can do the job of three humans, technically AI just replaced humans. Like that's not my, I have a six-year-old daughter who who can do that math. Right. That's that's what it is. It's just a softer, nicer, more friendly way to say it. But it's still AI replacing humans. Well, I'm I'm a business strategist. I, I need to, and yeah. I'm trying to get clients. So I'm, <laughs> I don't want to blow everybody up. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll have some of those hard conversations behind closed doors when I have to really beat somebody over the head with a stick. Um, yeah. The other thought of this is. How do we retrain those that may be in jeopardy of losing their job? How, how do we put them into different roles within an organization? How do we redeploy that staff? So, it, yeah, there may be some folks that have to leave the building. But then again, we're going to have folks that are going to learn and take on new skills. And the other thing which is having conversation uh, with a client just last just a few days ago, talking about some of the things we're going to be doing at NRF, and I really like the idea that he's not going. He's thinking about it about in terms of allowing employees to focus on higher value activities. So the monotony. Think let's let's take copywriting, writing product detail. That can be if if you're a copywriter. That can be a fairly monotonous new season. You have to write a thousand new copy blocks. How does AI help for that process and allow that copywriter to be more focused on editing and fine-tuning the copy, but not writing it from scratch? And that's one of the examples, I think, where a copywriter in particular is probably going to be more pleased and satisfied with their role if they're doing this on a uh, on, on a different level than just trying to write the original copy, and they're doing more of an editing role and making sure that it's in the la- the the voice of the brand and all the details are are straight and make sense. So, when you're out there working with brands, are are people? Like we'll do real talk here. Are people like generally, if you, if you had to paint it with a broad stroke, like, are they generally scared of the idea? Like the business owners, executives, are they scared of the idea of like implementing something that would eliminate a lot of jobs or are they like hungry for it? If those were your two options, which one would you say they, they skew towards? I think it's more the latter but it's not that they're scared that they're going to have people lose jobs. It's that they're already resource constrained. So mm. it's it, and it goes back to and maybe again you're going to take this as a political statement, but I'm not a big fan of the statement that says doing more with less. It's the idea of doing more with what you already have. And yeah. again, this idea of redeployment and that yeah, they're, they're already having a hard time getting the right talent into the corporate offices as well as into the physical brick and mortar store. So if I don't need to look for X amount of employees 
to do the jobs that I need done. And I can, AI can help me get to the finish line quicker than the, the C-suite, the managers, the VPs, they're all looking at this as a, as a win-win for them that they can keep their resources they have and be able to get the most out of those resources that they already have, but not necessarily need to reduce sales for uh, uh, the workforce because there's already enough to be done. They just can't get it all done. You, you think that that's where a lot of the businesses are? Oh, definitely. Sure. Yeah. It's, it becomes a, you know, that's why we have a, a list of priorities and we have to decide what are we going to do for this particular year and what has to wait till next fiscal year? What is in the development cycle? Because we can't do it all at once. Uh, we have to determine what is the low-hanging fruit, what is innovative that's going to keep us cutting edge, giving tools to different demographics, especially Gen Z that are looking to shop perhaps slightly differently than a golden ager or a baby boomer. So, well, how, how so? How are, how are they trying to shop? Well, I don't have TikTok and they do. <laughs> do, do, do they go on TikTok to shop or is it just they're going on TikTok for entertainment and shopping opportunities occur? What does it matter? Which way? Because they may have in their mind that they want something. And yeah, I mean, we see it in food. And food is, is, is TikTok is a huge influencer now on how young people are consuming food. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like do you uh, have an example? Like, is it like Drake's salad and you see it and you're like, oh, I want that salad? Or, or how, how they're are going they out this? and they're getting ideas of what do I eat today or what is the. Oh. So, so there, I, I did a, a, a keynote at the Grocers Association here in California in September. And I did, I did do a little bit of research. And the three top food trends in September on TikTok were chopped sandwich. Okay. So you're in Florida? Uh, tennis, Nashville. Okay. I was in Florida. Well, depending on where you're Nashville. on the country, an Italian sub is either an Italian hero or it's an Italian sub or it's a hoagie. Okay. Yeah. So picture an Italian sub. Okay. Taking all the ingredients in that and chopping it up. Okay. And then taking all of that and putting it between two slices of bread. That's a chopped sandwich. That's a Got that's it. a TikTok trend and phenomenon. Potato as bread. So folks are going to the supermarket and they're going to the frozen food section. They're buying those potato uh, hash browns or the potato pancakes, whatever, and they're frying it and th that's what they're using as their bread. So making sandwiches out of potato hash browns out of the frozen food section. And then the other one was, uh, there's a big trend on sardines and canned fish. Okay. So, yeah. People just like so, to eat it. They just are like, go buy the sardines and canned fish. And that's yeah, I forget there was something else. It was like number three, but the potatoes is bread and the chopped Italian sandwich were the top two. And so the grocers can they they can see these trends happening through consumption, right? That's what Did I told them. I said yeah. you better be on TikTok because if you're not, folks are going to be coming. And if you're not well stocked on 
frozen potato products, then you're going to be missing the boat uh, for those TikTokers coming into your store. That is interesting because if you think about it historically, I did very, I did a very small project or two in the grocery world with Boar's Head a decade ago. And I, so I learned just a teeny bit, right? And I learned that they track these seasonal trends of like how people buy all the way down to like the supermarket level. So they know how to stock the aisles. Well, if you were just, let's just say for argument's sake that the, the resolution of that is annually review the past seasons, to, for you to pick up on TikTok trends would be really difficult because you would just see like just these random shortages of potatoes like here and there. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, if they're not looking at their data with the idea in mind that social applications can be affecting their consumption, then they, they wouldn't even know to be looking for those patterns, right? No. And there, there should be and there are I, I don't have those specifically right now anecdotally, but there are organizations that have folks that are responsible for monitoring social media in order to understand trend. Oh, okay. I mean, look at what uh, the likes of a Sheehan or a Timu are doing, right? They're, they're looking at what's happening not only on their website, but in social media to determine what type of products they should be putting out into the marketplace. I don't know those companies. I assume they're grocery stores. No, they're no? fashion from out of, oh, fashion. out of Asia. Shein, S H E I N. They're, they're okay. uh, right now. There's I'm a, not up on my Asian fashion. Most of the, <laughs> the clothes I wear are from target. So <laughs> yeah, well target and the Walmarts and Amazons of the world and, Abercrombie and Fitch, H and M, you name it, they're all keeping an eye on both uh, Shein and mm -hmm. Timu, T E M U. Oh, you know what? They just stormed like my feeds in the past three weeks. Yeah. Timu, exactly. out of yes. nowhere, they just exploded, and they've got product results for everything. I was like, "Who is this?" It felt like the new Amazon. I'm like, "Who is this brand? Who is this brand?" Yeah, they're like, both out of China. Why did it explode to me? Like my perspective is never heard of it in my life. And then I was buying, I don't know, maybe like a case for one of my rifles or something. And like it came up and then my wife, I saw it on her phone. It was like there for makeup. And I'm like, what is this thing? And why is it everywhere they're, they're, selling they're everything? looking at your feed and they're advertising to your preferences and they know that they've, uh, Shein is specific to a fashion and apparel, if okay. I'm not incorrect. Timu has a much wider assortment of products. And if you could wait a, a few extra days to get something and you want to pay a fraction of the price, then you might from a U.S. retailer. Uh, they're hitting the market and they're being picked up very strongly by younger demographics. Some of this mm. stuff, there have been people who review products out there uh, one might consider some of these goods somewhat disposable because the quality may not match the value or the price. So you're paying a low price, but you may not be getting a sweater that's going to last more than a half a season. You know, you know what? I, so I try to be fashionable. 
yeah, I get a lot of my my plain shirts at Target. But just to set the record straight, because it's bothering me, I'd say 80% of my wardrobe is probably from Lucky. I really like the Lucky Jean company. Because for me, it's like, I like the quality of it. I did try, at one day I was like, I'm going to be a big boy today. And I'm going to go, I always see these, you know, these nice shirts and stuff on Instagram, scrolling through the feeds and you're in retail. And yeah. I was like, all right, I'm going to order one of their expensive shirts. Like I've never spent like, you know, that much money on just a casual t-shirt before. Right. But they're like, it's the ultimate casual t-shirt. So I was like, all right. So I bought, I don't know, five, six, seven of them, different brands, different styles, all had like crazy reviews. And it was like, they were all so garbage. They were literally the worst shirts ever. I returned all of them and I was like, you know, the, the $10 shirt I get at, at Target is my casual t-shirt. Like that is way better than any of these $90 perfect cut t-shirts, you know, uh, that are out there. And, and it just really felt like I just got drop shipped a bunch of generic junk. Do you see a lot of that happening or is that just one bad experience from me? I think that it's going to be all over the board in that you probably, you know, that's your, your idea of terms of what you're looking for as a consumer, but there's nothing wrong with that. And somebody else might, and I don't know, did, did you, was Mac Weldon in the mix of your, oh. any of your shirts? Did that brand come up? Cause they, I've never bought anything from them, but they, for, they have one of those like $90 t-shirts, whatever. Yeah. And they, I get physical mail order catalog stay bombard because i you know i'm i'm in the city here in san francisco bay area and from new york so i i like my fashion i probably spend a little bit too much on it sometimes uh so they they've definitely targeted me as somebody that might actually buy spend 90 dollars on a t-shirt but there's nothing that is a direct correlation all the time to price and quality and value because sometimes mm. it's marketing and it's brand perception. And what what what's the difference between the ten dollar, the ninety dollar, and the if you go to a Louis Vuitton or a Gucci, you can buy a T-shirt for several hundred dollars. Really? Oh yeah. So yeah. there's there are T-shirts that cost several hundred dollars. Oh that yeah, is, definitely. That is unbelievable. Yeah. What are they? They're handmade. What do you by, think Jay Z like, wears? <laughs> Target shirts? I, I don't know. I guess, I guess he's got a, I, I don't know. I'm not, I didn't, I'm not there yet. Wait, Josh is going to show us something. Like I get shoes. Like I'll spend a couple hundred bucks on shoes. I like, I like Johnson Murphy as a brand. You know, I typically will spend that's more a, money with them. That's good quality. That's, yeah, you're paying yeah, it, a decent penny for your shoes there. Yeah, but there, there's, there's, the quality is reflective of the increase in cost, right? Like I would never buy shoes at like yeah. Target or anything like that. Like I like to buy shoes and keep them for a while. There we See, go, Josh. There you go. Look at that. That Josh is a black a shirt t-shirt. that says Gucci and it's $590. <laughs> but it says, but it says <laughs> Gucci those, on it. Look at those pants. They remind me of like the, the, the early, the late nineties, early two thousands, the, <laughs> the skater pants or whatever that they would wear those baggy baggy jean pants my my cousins would and they'd go around, around on their skateboards that's hilarious oh yeah that's wow. that's what the young folks the, there's another interesting phenomenon when talking about fashion i have to throw this out there and i don't know if this is happening where you live but i live in a in oakland suburb of san francisco here uh, across the bridge live in a little town called in part of oakland called montclair and 
three o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm down in my village, there's all the high school kids are getting out of school. Mm-hmm. What is with this this trend of wearing pajamas to school? Oh. They're wearing pajama bottoms to school. They're wearing like plaid pajama bottoms and I, or printed with snowmen on them or polar bears. I, 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 I don't get it. But anyway, that's, uh, that's another trend I've... Yes, fashion is an interesting thing. Shopping is an interesting game. Retail is an interesting game. Uh, you know, we've talked a bit about social media. I believe live streaming still has not yet has it had this heyday here in the U.S. like it has in China with the big influencers and doing the big live stream event. Uh, but we're going to see more video shopping and more live streaming in v- various forms, not just what I call one to many, which is the 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 Chinese style or the, uh, that we see in terms of you know the lipstick influencer says at ten o'clock in the morning they're going to be on Instagram, TikTok, wherever it may be, their own platform, and they get thousands and thousands of viewers. Purchase goes up, shoots up, but you're also going to see one to one and one to to few, where folks that want to have an experience in the store but can't get to the store might have a personal shopper or some type of clienteling relationship with someone that can actually take them through video, through live streaming, into a physical location and be able to look and feel the product through live streaming. Whoa, you can have like a gopher type person, like go take, they'll, they're going to be, it's like FaceTime. Like you, you send yeah. a person out. Yeah, like it's already with, happening. It's already happening. It's we in, kinda do in with small DoorDash, areas right? and small pockets. Not DoorDash. Yeah, Who's, who do we use for, gro- I live out in the middle of nowhere. Instacart. But we do, Instacart. We, we don't get to see the stream, but we're like picking the products and then they go pick the products. But that's just like one, right. one behavior removed. Like if they were just in the store and they flip open their their phone. That's, yeah. that's, what, <laughs> then that's what I do when I'm with my wife. She's like, go pick up children's medicines when the kids are sick. And I'm like, I don't know which one. And I just start live streaming yeah. the, the aisle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, that's how technology is going to enable and create new channels for shopping. It's, it's a very interesting time in commerce. Folks will always talk about Mark Andreessen uh, the Netscape guy many years ago, I think it was around 2013, about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, uh, indicated that uh, he predicted that the retail store would be a dinosaur and that they, they'd all be eventually off the face of the earth. And that's never going to happen. Yeah, well, I think we're going to go a little bit t- somewhere in between extinction and Tesla because uh, like you st- there, are so- there are purchases I want to make where I go in and physically see it and touch it. And like a car is one of those sure. typically. Um, and, or at least there are people that like model. to shop. They like to go. That's, that's a hobby or it's, it's an experience. I, and that's dude. Where, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> she loves uh, to go out and shop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at a uh, place like New York city, Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue, those places are built for people that want to just walk up and down the street and go in and out of stores and and shop and engage with store associates and touch the product, feel the product, try it on, test it out. Um, so there's uh, they all come in different shapes and sizes. And also, I did some research for another client recently, uh, a retailer, and what we learned is 
you can you could put somebody in a bucket, whether it's a spearfish or somebody who uses internal search all the time, or a hunter that likes to browse and they may not know what they're looking for, but they like to go through different a lot of different pages. No matter how you classify a particular shopper, it goes across demographics. And that not everybody who's a Gen Z all wants to shop the same way. Not everybody who's a big baby boomer wants to shop the same way. So you have to really be prepared for the, this idea of hybrid shopping, online and offline. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the term omni-channel that you hear so often because it, to me it connotes silos of channels. But whether it's unified commerce or hybrid retail, I think that's a better connotation to the idea that consumers are in the digital space and in the physical space at any point of their shopping journey, and you have to be you have to be there and meet them where they are. That makes sense, right? Pick up on the shopping behaviors and patterns, and and just serve serve the behavior. Now that we've kind of warmed up a little bit, can you just give me another brief explanation? about what you did with Algolia and who do you know over there? Who do you work with over there? So I work with Bernadette Nixon and Laura Hamilton and Bernadette is their CEO. And uh, Bernadette and I will be sharing the stage at NRF. So I've been working with her on our fireside chat that we'll be having on January 16th. And Laura Hamilton, who's their VP of marketing, as well as some of her team, to pull together this campaign around conversational commerce and how we're going to stir up interest for folks to come to the Algolia booth and learn a little bit more of what they're doing to enable conversational commerce and the tools that they have uh, around national language processing, neural search, product discovery. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you're, you're doing some, some consulting with them then. That's how, that's how you know them. Correct. Oh, awesome. Yep. Well, you seem to be like the guy. You have so much experience in understanding this retail and commerce. Me, I just have the experience of a consumer. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time there as far as like understanding the technologies. But when I get to see cool stuff, like I saw Algolia and what they were doing, I was like, oh, that's, that's actually pretty neat how they're making the products like more searchable and accessible. And, and so I, I, I was like, that, that actually looks pretty cool. So it was really good to get to do an episode with them. Yeah, I've been I've been involved in technology and the internal search and product discovery space for many years. The company that I joined in 2008, uh, prior to Adobe and Omniture acquiring them, was focused on this idea of internal search. And you know, if you think about if I'm a consumer and I I know what I want, uh, I'm typically not going to start to browse around a website, I'm going to use the search bar and I'm going to type Uh in what I'm looking for. Uh, And those numbers, especially as consumers are more time constrained than ever before in their personal lives, uh, and they're in different mediums on the internet, uh, there are more and more consumers that are using that capability on a website in order to get to the product that they are looking for and purchasing. So it's really important that a brand, a retailer, uh, has really good internal search so that customers aren't frustrated, they don't abandon the experience because they're not getting the relevant results, Uh, because there's nothing worse than searching for a 
uh, you know, pair of uh, blue jeans or T-shirt or television, whatever it may be, and getting results back that don't fit the parameters that you've asked for. What else did we want to get out there? We gave a shout out. What's the name of your c- consultancy, Michael? Klein for Retail. So my last name, the number four, Retail. Klein for Retail. Nice. Were there any other points that we didn't get to that we wanted to get out there? The other thoughts are when we think about this idea of conversational commerce, it still goes back to authenticity. Because if you're not authentic as a brand, you're going to lose customers because consumers are too smart and they can sniff out when somebody is just trying to put their hand in their pocket and get their money. So the idea of authenticity is really important in any of these discussions around conversational commerce because uh, you know it's it's difficult to replicate a human type experience in a digital or online environment. So the more you can bring some level of authenticity and personality to that is going to benefit you in, in the long run. Yes, that is one of the things that I found out that almost all humans can do at various intelligence levels, almost, is they can pick up on authenticity. They can they can tell when someone's being like genuine or not. See, that yep. translates into brands too, right? You can feel when the when the brands are, as you said, trying to stick their hand in your pocket, right? Yep. Wow. All right, Michael, we did it. I feel good. It was a great conversation. I had, I had a ton of fun. So thanks for that. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.